be together and uh, uh, it's good that um, there's always things to look forward to and that's fantastic because it speaks of the life of the church. Uh, I wonder if you'll just turn with me this morning if you've got a Bible for a few verses of reading Psalm 47. Psalm 47. And this will just be the basis of uh, our ministry for the next few minutes and I'll be sharing another number of other verses and uh, won't have time to read them all and some of you may, <clears throat> may want to jot them down or listen again to the ministry, whatever helps you to get the best from what God's seeking to say to us at the moment. But Psalm 47 and verse 6 says, Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King over all the earth, sing to him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations, God is seated on his holy throne. This is the second half of our ministry entitled Raise the Praise. And uh, last week we had a, uh, a, a, an interlude as it were. What an amazing interlude it was as we witnessed some great stories of baptism. And also had our national leader of the Sons of God, John Partington, with us to bring a, a really relevant word. And we thank God for all of that. But um, we've just been uh, speaking about not talking to the church because we don't praise but simply asking God to help us to continue to lift that. I don't know whether you sense, but God's helping us, I believe, to do exactly that. Not only in the Sunday context, but also in other contexts that we find ourselves, youth contexts and prayer contexts. Praise is spilling out to our God, and God is doing some great things. Just a reminder that we initially talked about the call to praise, and the fact that earth captures the attention of heaven when people praise God, he inhabits the praises of his people. Christians spoke about the song of praise from Isaiah 12, responding to all that God has done for us. And then we talked about the weapon of praise and King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20, and how that brought a breakthrough to a praising people to see a mighty victory. And this morning, for the time that we've got in the service, I want to speak just for a little time about the focus of praise, And maybe we ought to have started here because the focus of our praise must always be God. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. The message said, sing songs to God. Sing out. Sing to our King. Sing praise. He's the Lord over earth. So sing your best songs to God. God is Lord of godless nations. He is sovereign. He is king of the mountains. And this morning, friends, I want to encourage us that our focus of praise, our expression of commendation, our expression of appreciation through uh, songs of, of, of praise to our God, through the expressions of praise that we've already taught, spoken about in recent weeks, the focus of that must always be to God. He's the one that we must converge on. He's the one that we must concentrate on. And he's the one that must continually get all of the glory. You know, God uses humanity within the church of Jesus Christ. And he uses people to, to lead us, to direct us, to minister to us, to stir us. And that's fantastic. And we appreciate the gifts that God gives to the body to help us with all of that. But the reality is they are just a means to an end. Because at the end of the day, that is all to lift us 
to our praise to the Lord. And for a few minutes this morning, I'm going to invite Arena Church to a school of theology. And don't worry, I'll mention one or two longish names and try and explain them. But this morning, for the, these moments, we're going to focus on God. Theology simply is a, an, a, a, an expression or an understanding of God through his word. It's two words that link together in the original theos meaning God, logos meaning word. And as we read the words, we actually find a revelation of God revealed to us. And I want to inspire us again this morning to focus on God. And as we focus on God, that we would sing our best songs to him. As Julian, the team have led us this morning, we've been reminded that God is Lord over all. Whatever season we're in in life, he knows all about it. He rules and reigns and leading us in communion, reminded us that God, Jesus, though he, though he was God, he came to this earth very high and became very low so that we might find the Lord. And God is amazing. I don't want to be overly clever this morning. And the reality is, friends, that we'll always be in awe of God. We'll never fully comprehend God. If you could restrict God to your limited human thinking, he wouldn't be much of a God. But I want to just see this morning again the big picture about God, the focus upon him. John chapter 4 and verse 24 says that God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is not confined by time or by space or by days or by ages. God is not nervous about the 21st century. He's, not, he's, he's, he, he's God. He's in those things and out of those things. He comes to us, but he's over them. And God, of course, is existent in three persons. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God, existent in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we're not going to go there this morning, friends, but the revelation of Scripture continually reveals to us those three persons of the Godhead working in absolute unanimity with each other and fulfilling the purposes of life and, and joy and goodness and grace. And the reality is that whatever we say about God today, God the Father, if we had time, we could also say about God the Son and about God the Holy Spirit. There is no contradiction in any of the things we say within any of the people that we're speaking about. And God is absolutely amazing. I want you to notice firstly that God is creator. God is creator. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the, the earth. Now I know that the whole issue of creation is a hot potato in society today. I know there are many people that would deny that we worship and serve a creator God. They, they deny that completely. And, uh, and, and of course, there'll be many, many people that people in, in popular culture would run to and say, oh, well, he says that, so it's got to be true. Or oh, he's written that, so it's got to be true. And we get all defensive about it as though we need to go, go so on the back foot all the times. But the reality is, friends, that the Bible tells us the living, eternal, unchanging, enduring word that God is creator. And that we need to understand that and respond to that. You see, the reality is that society today, Western society particularly, is gripped by what we call one aspect of it is humanism. In other words, it says that man's God, that you're in charge of your own destiny. Really? That you just need to do it your way. 
And the reality is that the more that you big up yourself, the more you reduce God to something less than what he is. The fact of the matter is that if we believe in a creator God, it draws a response from us to realize that we're going to have to make a response to him in terms of how we live. If not now, certainly one day when we stand before him in judgment. If we deny that, little wonder that people are just doing their own thing. And the reality is this, that we may have some differences in terms of how we see the creation order of God working out. I understand that. And it's not for this morning. But friends, God as creator is not to push us from him. It's to draw us to him. Hebrews 11 and verse 3 says that by faith, we understand that the earths or the worlds were formed at God's command. And the Bible tells us that not only has God given us a specific revelation of himself, Christians, we've understood that God came for us, we've responded to that, but also there's a general, <clears throat> there's a general revelation that works out in the world. And in Romans chapter 1, it says to us that God has revealed himself to man through creation. And as J.B. Phillips says, he's revealed himself so wonderfully to us in creation that he's actually left us without a rag of excuse. Psalm 19 verse 1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Think for a moment, perhaps some of the places that you've been in this country. And the wonderful thing about this little country is that you don't have to travel far to see something of the beauty of God's creation. You know, people that have never been to Derbyshire, if they've come up from the south to up north, get amazed by, by the beauty of Derbyshire and just what a wonderful place it is. And some of the beautiful places that you can walk and look. But think of some of those great places. I don't claim to be widely travelled, but I was just thinking, I was thinking that probably over 10 years ago now, Sharon and me, and, and I think Alison was with us, sort of met up with uh, Bob and Mandy on the west coast of Scotland. And one particular Tuesday morning, Bob says, do you fancy walking up Ben Nevis? I says, yeah, okay then. And, uh, and we did. And the girls went shopping, I think, or had a wander down the glens. But 4,409 feet up and all the way back down. It took us about six, six and a half hours. And uh, we're pretty dead. I remember drinking that tang of tango, ta- uh, can of tango when I got down from the, um, from, the, uh, from the mountain. The first one never touched the side of my mouth. And then I said, I'll have another. It was, it was, but it was one of the few clear days of a year on top of Nevis. And we just looked down. And just were in awe at the beauty of God's handiwork. He's an amazing God. Five, six years ago, we were in Perth, Western Australia, seeing our family out there. And one particular day, we just, one evening at 6.37, just looked over the Indian Ocean and literally over 20 minutes just saw that sunset go down and disappear over the water. Last year when I was out in uh, Uganda with Gavin and Glenda, the last Saturday, we went to the source of the Nile. And the little guide that was taking us says, he says, that piece of water there is now going to take three months to get to the Mediterranean because it's got a journey of 4,000 miles. Just awesome. And God continually reveals to us his wonders through creation. And when you find yourself in those places at times, I don't know about you, but it takes me to God. It doesn't take me from him. The sun radiates at 130,000 horsepower of energy. It's the equivalent of 45 eight-cylinder engines 
Yet it's only one of 100 billion planets in the Milky Way. You probably learned at school that the sun's 93 million miles away from Earth. Any nearer and we'd be frazzled. Any further away and we'd freeze to death. It seemed to go a bit distant in December, didn't it? But, but you know, it's just amazing. The Earth rotates on an axis at 1,000 miles an hour. It's tilted at 23 degrees. 22 degrees, 24 degrees. We want to have life as we exist. And when you think about these wonderful things, you think there's a God that's at work. Friends, if you think that this morning it all happened by the fact of me crushing this rock to pieces, throwing it up in the air and it all coming back like that, you can do. That takes more faith for me than to believe in a creator God in the beginning that had a plan and a purpose for the universe, for the earth, for the world and for man. And this morning we bring our submissive will to recognize that he is God and we praise him forever and ever. Psalm 139 reminds us that God has been creative in our lives. In verse 13 it says, For you created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full full well. The heart beats 37 million times a year. 85% of the brain is water. Every day we lose hundreds of strands of hair. And for some of us God doesn't seem to replace them very well. It takes 17 muscles to smile and 43 to frown, so keep smiling. The complexity of the human frame is truly mind-boggling. Billions of people on the earth, friends, but through the developing science of DNA analysis, all revealing that you are uniquely you. And not only our anatomy, but also our destiny, because it goes on to say in verse 16, that all my days are ordained for me, And they were written in your book before one of them came to be. You are not here by fate. You're not here by chance. You're not here by luck. You're not even here if somebody, in the sense of being in rejection because somebody said, I wish you'd never been born. You're here in the destiny and purpose of God who's got an amazing creative plan over your life. He's creator. Secondly, friends, God is sovereign. He's sovereign. In our reading in Psalm 47, it reminds us that he is the Lord over the nations, the king of all the earth. I'm sorry that this word sovereign has often been hijacked and become a battering ram for truth. Stephen Travis says we ought to undermine teaching that says God rigidly predestines certain people to be saved and other people to be damned. The reality is, friends, that the sovereignty of God is speaking about his rulership. It's speaking about the fact that he's over all. It doesn't mean that we sit back in cruise control forevermore and take no responsibility for life, for ministry, for witness, for sharing, for living out our faith well. But in all of that, God is in control. He's in control of your life individually. And he's in in control, friends, of the nations globally. God is in control of Egypt this morning. God is in control of Tunisia. God was in control of the changing of, 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 of things 20 years ago when, and we, we forget it, but it wasn't easy to get into communist nations. And we woke up one morning and there was a guy on top of the Berlin Wall smashing it to pieces because God is always in control. And all that God does agrees with all that God is. And God will never do anything beyond what he is himself. And there are times in our lives where we can feel that circumstances are out of control. Where things are running away from us, but we need to come again and recognize that God is the sovereign Lord. 
He doesn't always do things how we think he ought to do them because he's God. He doesn't always fit into how we think he ought to fit in because he's God. But the Bible says that if we can trust him, then he will always bring us through. Isaiah 55 says that my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For my ways, my thoughts and my ways are greater and higher than your ways. That's fantastic. That's because he's God's. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has enthroned his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. One of the reasons we pray on a regular basis, friends, for things beyond ourselves that seem huge at times is because God is sovereign. One of the reasons we can pray over this town is because God is sovereign over this town. One of the reasons we pray over this region is because God is sovereign over this region. One of the reasons we pray for our nation is because God rules. One of the reasons, friends, we pray over the nations of the earth is because God rules. Sometimes it may not seem like that. But God is sovereign. Thirdly, friends, God is immutable. That means unchanging. Unchanging. Malachi 3.6 says, I, the Lord, change not. Psalm 102 verse 27 says, You remain the same. James 1.17 says that God does not change and he is not like shifting shadows. The message translation of that verse says that God is nothing, there is nothing deceitful in God. There is nothing two-faced about God. There is nothing fickle about God. Now, you may know people and you'll say this about them, or be careful because you never know how you're going to find them. I want to say, friends, that that is not good Christian character. If people don't know how they're ever going to find you, that is not glorifying to God. You might be okay, you might not. You might be mellow, you might be kicking off. You might be moody, you might be all right. You might be grumpy, you might be happy. That's not good Christian character. God wants us to be consistent. Does that mean that we've got to put a face on at times when we have got an issue? No, we can share with appropriate people. But I don't want people coming to me not knowing how they're going to find me. That's not good. That's not good. And at worst, friends, it can be utterly controlling. And the reality is that it's not good for us because God's not like that. See, God is never moody, friends. God never sort of hits Monday morning and thinks, I don't like this world anymore. I'm going to switch it off. There is never a time when you can come to God and God says, clear off because I've got other things on my mind. I don't feel like talking to you today. God is immutable. God is unchanging. God is utterly consistent with his character. God is always love. God is always peace. God is always joy. And you can come to that God in any situation, experience that you find yourself, ups and downs, victories and defeats, ins and outs, and you will always find God the same. I think that God's worth praising forever and ever and ever and ever. God, friends, fourthly, is omnipotent. That means he is all-powerful. Exodus chapter 15 and verse 6, speaking about the greatness of God, says these words. He says, your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. Jeremiah 32 and 27 says, is there anything too hard for our God? God is all 
powerful, friends. There is nothing too difficult for our God. That's why we keep bringing impossibilities, humanly speaking, to God. Because he is all-powerful. He is omnipotent. The only things that God cannot do are things that would contradict his character. So God cannot lie. God cannot steal. God cannot cheat. God cannot be anything less than what he is. But our God, friends, is a God that is able to do his holy purpose and will in time and in eternity. Fifthly, God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's all-knowing. Listen to these words from Jeremiah 23 and verses 23 to 24. And it says these words. He says, am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? And these are rhetorical questions. Can anyone hide in secret places so I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. Proverbs 15 and 3 says that the eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Some of you that have been around church a long time would have used the hymn book on many occasions to help with your praise. And some of you may remember that song. It was a devotional song that talked about my open sins, my secret sins will all forgiven be. Well, here's the truth, friends. There's no such thing as a secret sin because God sees everything. And what an amazing convicting truth that is when we begin to grow as Christians. And we begin to understand that the Holy Spirit doesn't leave us the moment we walk out that church on a Sunday morning. Because he's with us every moment of every day. And sometimes in the journey of faith, and it's been for all of us, the journey of faith is that sometimes we think we can get away with things outside of the confines of the Christian community because God's not there. And then you've tried to do them. And God's turned up because he sees everything. In fact, God's been more convicting on that Thursday morning than what he was on Sunday in church. And he begins to speak to you by his spirit. And he begins to, now you can still do your own thing like we all can because God's not robbed us of our free will. But the spirit of God begins to come to you and basically says, I see it. I know what's going off. Are you going to do the right thing? Are you going to do your thing he sees everything and sometimes people can go to situations where they think they can hide or pretend but actually God wants us to come to a place of an open relationship with him and the fact is friends that when we get it wrong that we can openly and vulnerably and transparently come to the Lord and say God I'm sorry because I know that you saw that You saw that word I said that was inappropriate. You saw my reaction that wasn't Christ-like. I'm sorry. And the more you begin to build that sort of relationship with God, the more you get drawn into what he's got for your life, and the more you begin to bring praise to the Lord. Sixthly, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. Back to Psalm 139 and verse 7. And it says these words, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. God, friends, is everywhere. You know, I know of people that have gone to live in Australia and Canada 
to try and start a new life and to get away from God. And here's the truth, literally, the first person they bumped into when they arrived in Australia was a Christian. Hello? I know it's hard to believe, but God's really in Australia. No. <laughs> He's everywhere. You can go into the frozen waste today and find the Eskimos that worship God. You can go to the extremities of the southern islands that are 12, 13 hours in front of us. And you can find people worshipping God. He is everywhere. The Bible says that God's glory fills the whole earth. What, what an amazing truth that is, that when you find yourself in context, even this week, that seems so godless, work environments, difficult meeting situations, things that you've got to confront, even when it seems that God is not there, he's right in the middle of it. And seventhly, friends, God is eternal. Psalm 90, verse 2. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I got a book last year by Wayne Grudem on systematic theology. I nearly brought it out. It's about that thick. It's just talking about God. <laughs> and we just have 30 minutes. And you're just fascinated by someone's mind like Grudem, Professor Grudem. He says this about eternity. He says, God has no beginning, no end, no succession of moments in his own being. He sees all time equally and vividly. Yet God sees events in time and acts in time. In Revelation 22, we get a glimpse of the eternal day. And in verse 5, it says, A night shall be no more. They need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord will give them light, and they shall reign forever and forever. God's eternal, friends. Where did God come from? He's always been and he always will be. He's the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He knows all things from the beginning to the end. And the Bible gives us a glimpse, just a glimpse, of the Christian community in the eternal day. And it's going to be fantastic. It is not going to be boring. It is not going to be you sat on a cloud for the zillions of years playing a harp. And as Gary Olson says in the cartoon, I wish I bought a magazine with me. You know, it's not going to be any of that. The most amazing creative community in the perfect order of God that anybody could ever think about. Because God is eternal. Friends, seven snapshots of God in a few moments. And of course, I run the danger of doing them incredible injustice. But you get the feeling of what I'm trying to say. God is creator. God is sovereign. God is unchanging. He's immutable. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. And God is eternal. And all those things are amazing. And we could go on. God is love and light and life. God is wise and true and faithful. God is good and just and merciful. God is patient and holy. God is peace. Yeah, God gets angry with wrong. And as I'm reminded us this morning, that's why he laid it upon Jesus. God is grace. And God never needed to be bothered with us, but he did. 
and go back for a moment to perfection in the garden in Genesis where God was passionate about a fellowship with his people he created man and woman in his image his special image and there was wonderful fellowship there unbroken it was so innocent that actually Adam and Eve could walk around not even clothed and yet man did his own thing and decided that he'd take hold of his own destiny and please himself and the consequences were catastrophic and God could have left us to it he could have left fallen man to just forever just go on a path of destruction we could have been here today friends with no Jesus with no cross to remember with no sacrifice to revel in God could have just left us and in Ephesians chapter 2 it speaks about the fact that we by nature were the children of God's wrath and here's what Peterson says in the next few verses it's a wonder that God didn't lose his temper and do away with the lot of us instead immense in mercy and with an incredible love he embraced us he took our sin dead lives and made us alive in Christ and didn't know this and I didn't know she was going to share but I wrote down in my notes this morning, Philippians 2, verses 5 to 7. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, because he was God. But Jesus made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and being found in likeness, and in the appearance of men, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross God very high becoming very low so that you and I could be here this morning Graham Kendrick many years ago wrote a classic hymn one of the verses seems to capture what I'm trying to say as I conclude this morning it says come see his hands and his feet the scars that speak of sacrifice hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered this is our God the servant king he calls us now to follow him to bring our life as a daily offering in worship to the serving servant king friends god is great and in a leaders gathering of around about 200 people just this week with no music just as an impromptu giving of our best song to god we sang how great is our god Let's forever, friends, let the focus of our praise be him. Realizing that we can know him, we can serve him, and we can praise him all of our days. Let's pray.